0: Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of God. Right,
1: if you can keep that passage open before you. So ladies, let me begin by telling you about two women I know. Now, I have changed their names, but the rest of what I'm about to tell you is true. So we'll call my two friends, Sarah and Jill. Twelve years ago, my friend Sarah's adult son was diagnosed with cancer. Sarah and her family are Christians. And they faced the hardship of their son's illness hand in hand with Jesus. It was an incredibly difficult time for them. And after two years of suffering, their son died, leaving behind a young wife and two little girls. And my friend's heart was shattered. But I watched Sarah and her family cling to Jesus. And 12 years down the road, they are still loving him. And serving him. In fact, they're an incredible blessing to many people in our church family who have suffered grief and loss. Sarah and her family trusted Jesus in their suffering, and they are better Christians today because of it. My friend Jill and her husband faced several hardships in their marriage. They were both Christians. But at some point, Jill stopped trusting Jesus for the strength to face their struggles. She eventually gave up on her marriage. Her now ex husband, who is still a Christian and a wonderful example of someone who has kept enduring and loving Jesus, even though his life has turned out quite differently to what he'd expected it to. But my friend Jill no longer walks with the Lord. We don't see her anymore, and she has cut ties with everything to do with Christianity. In her suffering, she gave up her faith, and she became bitter with her husband, her church, and with God. But the question is, why did Sarah become better while Jill became bitter? What made the difference? Well, you see, it all has to do with what we think God is doing when we go through hardships. And this little passage here in Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 13, is a passage that will help us to view the problems and opportunities of this life in such a way that we will grow to be better rather than bitter. And this passage gives us four things to remember if we're going to grow to be better, not bitter. Point number one. We are to have the right perspective on our suffering. We're to have the right perspective. So look at verses four to six. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And so the writer begins in verse 4 with a bit of a rebuke. And he's saying to these readers, you know, guys, actually, where's your perspective? Yes, you have struggled. He acknowledges that. And we've seen their struggles earlier when we look back at chapter 10. We saw how these men and women were struggling for their faith. But he says to them, though you've struggled, you've actually not struggled that much. You actually haven't yet reached the point where you've had to give up your life for the sake of Christ. Some of the ancients in chapter 11 towards the end of the chapter, from about verse 35 of chapter 11, we read about what happened to some of them. Just turn back there, chapter 11, um, and look at uh, verse 35. Where am I? Not verse 35. Let me just check my reference there. Anyway, go home and read it. But he talks about some of them who were sawn in two for the sake of Christ, and they were put to death by the sword. You see, they suffered... Yet they endured in their suffering, and they endured even to the point of death. And here are these Christians who have having to go through awful suffering but haven't had to die yet. And he's saying to them, And here you are, in a sense, with your lesser suffering, and look where you are. You're wanting to give up. You're wanting to throw in the towel. You've not even looked down the full gauntlet of where your suffering could actually lead. Look at those who have gone before. Look at Jesus. He suffered and endured the shame of the cross. He suffered and endured to the point of death. That's real suffering. So you guys need to gain a little bit of perspective here. You, you're quick to assume that this is so hard. You can almost hear their voices. Oh, where is God in this? This is so tough. Why do we have to go through this? And he says, well, they're actually those who've had worse. Now, what did they do? They endured. They kept going. And they didn't even have the full puzzle. They kept going. Don't be like that, he says to them. And then he says to them, have you actually forgotten what is going on when you suffer? That's in verse 5. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you? Where is God in the hardships of life? Where is God in life's opportunities? Has he left the building? No, the writer says, that's not at all what's happened. God is very much present in all of life's circumstances, the good and the bad. He's there. And particularly in those times of hardship, what should be our perspective? What should be our perspective? Well, the writer says in verses 5 to 6, you need to remember that God is disciplining you. In our hardships, God is at work, encouragement number one. Encouragement number two, God is at work to discipline us. And so to have the right perspective in life's varying circumstances begins with seeing hardship as discipline. If we're to fight against the sin of unbelief, which, by the way, is what he's talking about in verse 4. It's a bit of an odd verse. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So he doesn't say, in your suffering, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He actually says to them, in your struggle against sin. And what he means there is, as you face the struggle, this particular hardship for them, as you face that, what are you being tempted to do? You're being tempted to give up. You're being tempted to the sin of unbelief. Don't give in. As you struggle against that sin of wanting to just give up on Jesus, he says, remember, remember, gain back some perspective. Remember, you've not suffered as the others have yet. You're you're actually sitting in a bit of a good place here. And remember that God has not abandoned you, so you don't have to stop trusting him. He's there in the midst of the struggle disciplining you. But what does this word discipline here actually mean? You see, when we think about discipline, we tend to think more about punishment, don't we? So we're tempted to read these verses and think that in our hardship, God is punishing us. But the original Greek word here for discipline is a word that, when it's translated, it actually means to train up a child, to train. All right? And so we are to think of God's discipline as training. Now, when we train our children, it's about the whole process by which that child is loved and encouraged and nurtured and matured. So, part of that process may at times involve punishment, but that is only one small part of the training process. Discipline, in the sense of training, is about a loving commitment to our children, which will express itself in different ways at different times. But ultimately, it seeks to encourage our children towards what is best for them. And you see, the writer is saying here that our difficulties are part of God's loving training of us. It's how God lovingly works in our lives. It's not that he's using us as a punching bag. It's about him caring so much for us that, like a good parent, he is willing to step in and to help us to become what he knows is best for us. And he asks us to trust him in that process. So whatever the hardship may be that you are going through right now, remember that it is part of God's loving training of you. And so you don't need to lose heart or to become discouraged. Even Jesus endured that training. Nor must you make light of what God is doing in your life. In other words, don't dismiss God as if he's causing chaos. Rather, the writer wants us to acknowledge God's work in us and that as God works in all the circumstances of life, the good and the bad, that he's working to bring about a certain beauty in us and a joy that we're lost for eternity. We've got to change our perspective. And because this is true, you see, if that's our perspective, that God is disciplining, training us to become what he thinks is best, if that's how we think about things, then we will keep going. Because we will know that as we face those struggles, it's not in vain. So in times of hardship, it may be helpful to ask, how is God refining my character in this? How is he perhaps reordering my priorities? What part of his word have I had to wrestle with in my struggle? And how has it helped me to grow in my faith? Perhaps you may want to look at your prayer life when you go through hardship. How has your prayer life been shaped by your pain? Perhaps ask yourself if God has provided a relationship of special significance during a struggle you've been going through. Perhaps that's something you can be thankful for. You see, these kinds of questions, when our perspective is changed towards the things of God, what matters to him rather than our comfort, then these questions turn us from despair and from self-pity and doubt, and they help us to see how God is using hardship as training. As we seek to obey God in all of life's circumstances, God is working to train us in faith. Isn't that encouraging? That the God of the universe, even when life really sucks, if we are trusting Jesus, keeping him at the center of our vision, if we're continuing to run, limping, struggling, but we're going, that actually that is God at work in us, training us, getting us ready for eternity, right there, in the struggle with us. It's the most wonderful thing. And as God does this, the writer goes on to say he's actually treating us as his children. And that's our second point. As God disciplines us, he treats us as his sons and daughters. As we endure God's training, we can be assured that we belong to him. You see, ladies, it says here that God only does this because he loves us, because we truly belong to him. You know, we forget That as we run the race of faith, that even as we do that struggling, like, you know, that athlete I spoke about who ran for Britain, and we just fall across the finish line, that actually the reason we're able to do that is because God is working in us. And if God is working in us, what does that mean? It means that we are His. You see, we've bought the lie of the charismatic world that if you want to know that God loves you, well, life's great, and you never struggle. Depression, no. The demon of depression must go. Anxiety, no. But actually what the writer is saying here is that as you trust Jesus in your fear and in your anxiety and in those broken relationships and as you keep holding on to him and you keep going in enduring faith, that's how you know you belong to him. Because in those circumstances, he is actually keeping you. You're only going because he's keeping you. You belong to him. You're not an illegitimate child. Parents who love their children train them. You see, a loving parent trains their child in the way they should live, in the way of life that is best for them. So a child might think it's all right to eat junk food all day, every day, because it tastes good. But the parent, in their greater wisdom, disciplines the child to have a balanced diet. Out of love for their child... That parent exercises their greater wisdom to step in and to discipline or train their child to be the best person they can be. And in much the same way, the writer is saying here in verses 5 and 6 that God uses our hardships to train us precisely because he loves us. Now, how different that message is, this message of the gospel is, to the ones you hear on these TV show channels of all these preachers and speakers. God loves you because you are fit. God loves you because you are healthy. Or here, the writer says, God loves you because life's hard. In the hardships of life, as you keep putting one faithful foot in front of the other, that is God holding you. And that's how you know. You know that he loves you. And he's asking you to trust him. In his wisdom, he can see that hardship is a teacher we cannot do without It's because he considers us to be his children that God gets involved in our lives. In all the messy parts, he's right there. And if you cast your eye down to verse 7, it's actually clear there that the whole point of endurance is so that we may be trained by God. So instead of viewing our discipline as God being rough or unloving towards us or not actually caring about us, In reality, if God is working in your life today in this way, be assured that it is a sign of his love. And God's training of us through our hardship is something that we must not only acknowledge, but something we need to be thankful for, because it gives us assurance of faith. But thirdly, ladies, if we want to grow better, not bitter, then we need to remember that God's training of us is actually not without purpose. In verses 9 to 11 we see three reasons for which God trains us. And the first one is there in verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? You see, one of the reasons that parents discipline their children is so that their children might come to respect them. Isn't that true? On a practical parenting level, the Bible is actually full of instruction to parents to make sure that their children should grow up to honor them and to respect them. And in much the same way, our Heavenly Father disciplines us to love him and to respect him. You see, in our hardships, as we endure, God's training helps us to realize that he is God and we are not. He is the one in control and not us. Our place is to live in submission to him. We are to treat him as God. We are to love him and serve him. And submit ourselves to him. And we often learn this kind of respect for God when we go through the hard things of life. Because it is then that we really see our need of him. It is in those times that we see how very small we are and how great and mighty our God is. And I want you to notice the promise at the end of verse 9. So while our earthly parents discipline us so we will learn respect, Our Heavenly Father disciplines us because the respect we learn for him in those tough times is designed to bring life. God trains us so that we may live well in this world under his rule and authority. So that we will not give up. That we will press on serving him as God. Why? So that we may live well for all eternity. You see, as we persevere with the right perspective of who God is and of what he is doing in us through our struggles, we will keep on enduring. And what's the prize for which we are running? Why do we endure? It's to inherit eternal life. But secondly, we see that God's training of us also works, verse 10, holiness in us. Have a look at verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while, our earthly fathers that is, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Now for those of you who have children, I'm sure we, we all have goals for our children. And God has a goal for us. God's goal for us is that we might share in his holiness, that we may be like Jesus. The purpose of God's discipline is that as we endure the tough things of this life, we will come out on the other end looking more and more like our older brother, resembling him. In other words, in the hardships of life, God is training us to share in his character. Just let that sink in for a moment. Where we often question God in our hardship, the writer says God is there training you, working with you, so that you may share in his character. What's an extraordinary thing that God would do for us? You see, here in this world, God is working with us, getting us ready for eternity. The hardships are a way of growing us in perseverance and in godliness, so that we will make it to heaven. The world and all of its hardships are the training ground eternity. And so there are two things going on here. God is getting us ready, making us holy, getting us to share in his character so that we will share in his kingdom. And ladies, God won't allow spoiled brats in his family. And so he works Christ-likeness in us instead. That's God's goal for us. To be godly children. Not bratty ones. Citizens of heaven at the end of the race. I don't know what's happening in your life as you sit here this morning. Perhaps you've been caught out in a sin, and it's left you feeling embarrassed. Perhaps even humiliated. If that's you here today, let me encourage you to see this hard thing as part of how God is training you in godliness. We're told in verse 11 of chapter 12 that no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. But it will bear good fruit if, verse 11, we actually have God's perspective. So don't give up coming to church because you think, oh, what are they going to think of me? Don't give up wanting to follow Jesus because you've been caught out. Accept God's training. Humble yourself before him and keep going. Or perhaps today, as you sit here, you're at the end of yourself due to a strained relationship or a financial hardship, perhaps an illness or fear or anxiety. Maybe like these original readers of Hebrews, you are facing persecution for your faith. The struggle you're going through is hard. It's unpleasant at the moment. But it has brought you to a point where you've had to rely on God for strength in a way that you haven't. For a very long time. You see, even in those hardships, God is with you, helping you to grow in what matters the most in your commitment to Him. He is training you to trust Him as you live in this world. Maybe on a more basic level, you're a young mum and you're struggling with a difficult child. But perhaps your child's behavior is how God is training you in patience. It's hard, it's unpleasant, but in it, God is working the fruit of patience in you. God is in the business of making us like Jesus because that is what matters the most. That is what lasts for eternity. And so when problems come, there is no point in growing bitter or cynical. God wants to use those things to help us to grow to be better Faithful followers of Jesus, not bitter. He wants us to see our hardships as opportunities that He is giving us to grow in maturity. And then, thirdly, also there in verse 11, one of the things that God's discipline of us does is that it produces a peaceful harvest of righteousness. Uh, Now, one of the commentaries I read around this particular section of Hebrews said that the idea here is, and I quote, of someone ceasing to be rebellious or resentful towards God in their hardship, and so providing fertile soil for the cultivation of a righteous life. In other words, the peaceful fruit of righteousness comes from no longer resenting God in our hardships but rather recognizing God's discipline and seeing our hardships as God's training of us. It's the beauty of a life lived with joy in hardship because we see those hardships for what they are, a sign of God's love and his commitment to us, the tools by which he fashions us more into his character so that we might be ready for his kingdom. A couple of years ago now, a very good friend of ours was caught out in adultery. Um, He was embarrassed, he was humiliated, and he was angry that he had been caught out. And he initially tried to deny it, but eventually he admitted what he had done. He confessed everything and accepted the help of his friends in breaking all ties with the other woman. He kept on going to church and to Bible study. And he pressed on through the painful humiliation and all the hard that came along with that season of life. He acknowledged God's work of discipline in his life, and he humbled himself before the Lord. And as time went by, he was so thankful for God's intervention. He didn't resent the Lord, but he chose to learn from the Lord instead. And our friend is still walking with Jesus today, and his marriage is a beautiful testimony of God's faithfulness. Was the training hard? Yes. His wife struggled hugely too, but she held the hand of Jesus and she trusted him. And she would tell you that God worked in her too, that he grew her in patience and compassion. And he helped her to see where she was often quite harsh with him. And she grew in deep love for her husband And just a few months back, she was actually saying to me that her marriage is stronger now than it's ever been, that she's more in love with her husband now than she ever was. Individually and together, that couple experienced the peaceful fruit of righteousness. They chose to accept God's training, and their lives became fertile soil in which God planted and grew beautiful fruit. You see, adopting the right attitude towards our circumstances will mean that we can and we will experience the full and good effects of God's discipline in our lives. It means that we won't despise him or resent him. And we actually won't be undone by our hardship. We won't give up. But if we resist and we are resentful, then the peaceful fruit of righteousness will not be reflected in our lives. It's the difference between my two friends, remember them? Sarah and Jill. Sarah had God's perspective on hardship, and her life to this day bears the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But Jill didn't have God's perspective, and so she gave up. And at least at this point in time, she remains bitter. Well, what are we to do with all of this information? After reminding us of all this wonderful truth, the writer applies it for us. And this is our final point, point number four. We need to renew our commitment to running this race and completing it. Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, so in light of all of this, the writer is saying, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So the writer says, now that you've heard this, now that you've thought about it, you're to renew, we're all to renew our commitment to completing the race of faith. So usually, arms and knees are symbols of strength and activity. Flexed arms and strong knees are needed for running the race. And finishing well. But for these readers, the hand, their hands have become slack. And their knees have been weakened. And so you have this picture of their drooping hands and their weak knees. And it's a picture of exhaustion. They've become tired and discouraged. But now the writer is saying to them, no, no, this is not the time to be tired and discouraged. This is the time to be strengthened, to be determined, to press on toward the final goal brings us back to that picture we saw in our first talk of running with perseverance. If all of this is true, then run with perseverance. Don't give up. But I want you to notice again here as we finish that this kind of strength will not be found in ourselves. You see, the writer isn't saying, come on, you know, pull yourselves together. Rather, what he wants us to do is to remember the Lord Jesus to remember what he has done for us, to focus our eyes on him and what he has achieved for us. Our strength for the race is found in him. So ladies, if you're feeling weary today, exhausted, look to Jesus. He is our refuge and our strength. Call out to God to help you to remember that he has not left you and he has not forsaken you. And ask him to strengthen you in Christ and by his Holy Spirit to keep trusting him, even though it's hard. Ask him to remind you that in your struggle, he isn't using you as a punching bag, but rather that he's working in you to make you holy. Remember that God wants you to last the distance And the way you do that is by setting your eyes on Jesus. Look back at him. And as you look to him, strengthen your weak knees, your feeble arms. He's the author and perfecter of faith. The one who has run the race already. And is seated at God's right hand where we will be too. If we keep going. The same Jesus carries us when we are weak. Now he will see us through to the end for he is faithful. So stand firm in him. Press on in Jesus. The writer's promise to us here is that if we continue in Christ, Christ will see us through to the finish line. In May, I read an article on uh, the Gospel Coalition Australia, not Gospel Coalition Africa. Um, And it was written by a young woman uh, called Sarah Phillips about her dad, um, a man called John Tilson, And as I read it, it summed up for me exactly what this part of Hebrews is all about. The article's way too long for me to read the whole thing, so I've just taken certain sections from it um, to help us as we think through this passage today. I'm quoting now. From the outside, my father was living a rich and full life. He was married with four children, two grandsons, and three more grandchildren on the way. He owned a big house in southwest London, had a steady job, and a great pension, and he planned to retire in 2021. He loved classical cars and had a sizable collection of old bangers that that didn't start, much to my mother's annoyance. He went to a good church, heard biblical preaching every week, and enjoyed lots of Christian fellowship. He knew many Christian truths and considered himself to be theologically sound. But in his own words, he had become spiritually complacent and far too invested in this life. He said he'd developed a ludicrous sense of entitlement to the life he lived, and although he enjoyed many aspects of a Christian lifestyle, his heart was far from God. Nothing looked too bad from the outside, but he wasn't living wholeheartedly for the kingdom. And then in January last year, he was diagnosed with stage 4 bowel cancer. We were all shell-shocked and totally devastated, but my dad was not when he first heard the diagnosis. He instantly felt God put the words from hebrews thirteen four into his mouth, and he heard himself say to the consultant, "Yeah, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come." He described feeling a peace that transcended all understanding, literally guarding. His heart and mind. And from then on, he woke up. Christ became everything again. The gospel was all that mattered. He began to seek a different city. He certainly suffered. Yes, he did. But he said he wouldn't have missed it for the world because of what it did for his soul. It drew him near to God in total dependence upon him. It gave him an eternal perspective as he was confronted with his own mortality, and he began to think much more about heaven and the world to come. He experienced time and time again that God keeps his promises, and that what he says in his word is true. It made him see that the only life worth living was one lived out wholeheartedly for the gospel. Because only what you do for the kingdom lasts forever. That is treasure in heaven. My dear dad was not healed. He died. But I believe I witnessed a far more profound healing in his life than a good response to chemo. His soul was healed of spiritual complacency. His eyes were opened afresh to the beauty of Jesus. His heart beat with a new vigor for the gospel. He lived a life of full surrender, and he began truly seeking the city to come. The more ill he became, the more gracious, wise, Christ-like he seemed. And though he was outwardly wasting, inwardly he was being renewed day by day. You see, ladies, this is what it looks like to see God's activity in our hardship. This is what it looks like to grow better, not bitter. We are to remember that the trials of this life, in all of it, God is present, working eternal things in us. How limited our view can sometimes be. God is asking us, to take a big picture view of what he's doing. We must look forward to the joy of eternity like Jesus did. The joy that was set before him meant he kept going. And we need to hold the hand of our loving Father, seeking to understand how to grow through our hardships. And we must not grow weary. Let's pray together. Father, again, we are immensely thankful to you for how patient you are with us. We thank you that you don't leave us to run this race of faith alone, that you are very much with us. And whatever the circumstances that we've been called to endure, that you are right there in it, working eternal things in us. We're incredibly grateful, and we thank you for the truths of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.